0: We are in a series uh, right now. We're actually starting one. Um, If you are here today for the first time, good news—you don't need to go back and catch up on anything. We are starting uh, a series on Jonah. Pastor Josh, our pastor of preaching and vision, is going to be um, uh, leading this off today. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter one, verses one through three. If you brought your Bible, you're going to want to get that out. If you did not, there is a blue Bible in the seat in front of you. It's under the rack. If you're in the front row. Ask a friend, pull out your phone, Uh, you can go back and find one as well. It's one of those blue Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, this is our gift to you. Please grab this Bible, put your name in it, and take it home. Um, We want everybody who needs a Bible to have one, so please grab that. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And because uh, we believe this is the Word of God, um, and we are under its authority, would you please stand with me as we read Jonah chapter 1, um, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Awesome. Thanks, Benger. Good morning, guys.
1: How are we? Good. It is good to be with you all this morning. As we start this new series, as Benger said, for those of you who are new, my name is Josh Knight, pastor of Preaching and Vision. And we are diving into Jonah uh, this morning. Uh, And many of you, probably all of you, have at least familiar with at least a part of the story of Jonah, right? Jonah... In the fish. You've you've all heard that, or after the first gathering, everybody's like, Have you seen the veggie tales of Jonah? It's like amazing. You gotta go watch the veggie tales. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I will go watch it with my boys today. Um, so the J- jonah and, and the fish, but we're actually not even gonna talk about the fish uh this morning. That's just like one part of the story. There's so much more to Jonah than just the fish, and we're not—we're not, we're not going to talk about it this morning, and we're not even—I don't even know if we're going to talk about it next week. I don't know when we're going to get uh, to to the fish because uh, there's just so much more for us to unpack over the next five weeks in this story. This morning, what I want to do is I want to set the groundwork for us. I really want to spend the entire first half of our time just kind of creating a, a work that you can go back over the next five weeks and re-listen to, to say, okay, who's Jonah? What, what, where's Jonah? What's Jonah? Where are we going with this? Right, Kind of the, the context of this work. And I want to kind of set that up in the, kind of the first half of uh, today's sermon so that you have a resource you can go back and listen to really at any point in time if you want to just kind of a refresher on who Jonah is and the kind of the background and the context of that. And in the second half of the sermon, I just want to kind of give one, one takeaway, one point from these first three, three verses in, in Jonah this morning. So Jonah is what we call a minor prophet, right? Uh, minor prophets, uh, major prophets. The only difference is the minor ones are shorter works, right? So it's, just a, it's a shorter work, right? So you have your major prophets like uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, which are much longer works, uh, and then but then Jonah is a much shorter work. So it's one of the minor prophets, um, and it's unique even amongst the minor prophets, though, because uh, most of the prophets of the Old Testament what we what the work is it's 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 God's words to the people of the nation of Israel right that's what we see again and again and again God speaking through his prophets to the nation of Israel but what we see in Jonah is something different than that right Jonah is actually a story about an event that took place in Jonah's life or a moment of, that took place in Jonah's life. So not, not God's words to the nation of Israel. In fact, the nation of Israel doesn't even really appear hardly at all in, in the work of Jonah. It's what happens, it's the events of a moment in Jonah's life. So it's, it's unique amongst uh, the prophets in that way. It's also unique because of Jonah's character as a prophet. Jonah's not like other prophets. I don't know what you think of when you think of a prophet or a prophetess, right? I don't know what you, I don't know what comes to mind. Maybe in our culture here in Utah, you think of an elderly man in a custom-made suit uh, who has a lot of power and a lot of authority and a lot of sway. Um, biblically, that's not what we see. Okay, biblically, when we think about prophets uh, in the Bible, we actually see people who are usually marginalized, kind of on the outside of culture, um, and usually they are not liked by people. These are holy, reverent. God-fearing men and women, right? But usually not liked, right? Because they're telling people, "Hey, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to repent. You need to turn back to God." Here's all the ways that you're failing. Right? They're calling people back to God, um, and they're usually not liked by the people. However, they are loved by God. They're holy. They're reverent. They they are they are near to God. Neither one of these images describes Jonah. Jonah is neither one of these people. Uh, Jonah um, is a curmudgeon, right? He's, he's angry, and he's bitter, and he's, he's not very kind, and he's certainly not a, a righteous man. In fact, um, the way he speaks to God is, is brash and, quite frankly, dangerous. Right? I just wouldn't talk to God that way. I wouldn't pick up pointers. Jo- Jonah's not somebody you want to model your life after, all right? Um, And yet, he is still a prophet. But he's not always an honest prophet. He's not always a true prophet. Uh, There's a scene, kind of the first time we meet Jonah is in 2 Kings 14. We kind of learn Jonah and who his dad is, where he's from. Um, And there's a story where a king, um, the king is asking, King Jeroboam II, uh, who's not a good king, Right? Um, he's asking his prophets, right? Should I go to war? Like, will, will we win this battle? Can we take more land? Can we conquer? Um, and Jonah says, "Heck yeah, you can. You're the king. You can do whatever you want. Like, you you can do it. You can win. You can achieve. You can you can get more. Like, go for it." But then Amos, another one of the minor prophets, um, Amos, who is a good and righteous man, says, "Heck no. Like, there's no way. Like, uh, the." There's no way that God is on your side. In fact, if you go into battle, you're going to die in battle, King Jeroboam II. Like, there's no way you survive this. And so you have two prophets with two different opposing prophecies. So right right away, we know already before we ever get into the book of Jonah that Jonah is not always honest. Right? Jo- Jonah is going to say whatever is going to get him in the good graces of people. He's going to take advantage of the situation. He's going to use his, his kind of fame as a prophet um, to gain street cred and to get into the good graces of the king and, and to be that kind of person. Jonah, um, they kind of through the whole work, this is one of the themes that we're going to see, is, is that Jonah, the man who's supposed to be a righteous man of God, is not that. And the people who are supposed to be unrighteous, right, the sailors and the Ninevites and all these horrible people, actually end up being far more righteous than Jonah. Again and again and again. It's kind of this paradox. You see this kind of strange thing happening through the book of Jonah. But the main theme, the main theme of Jonah, the thing that you're going to see most of all over the next five weeks. You guys know what the main theme of Jonah is? Anybody? You can give the Sunday school answer, it'll, it'll get you every time. Jesus. Jesus is the main theme of Jonah. That's what you're going to see again and again and again and again and again and again. Jesus is all over this work. Jonah is what we call a type. Uh, us nerds who have gone to seminary. Uh, Jonah, Jonah's a type. And what a type is, there's types all over the Old Testament. Um, You got King David, King Saul, there's so many different types. And what types are is that these are people or even moments that point us to Jesus. And when you lay Jesus over the life of Jonah, your mind blows up because you're like, wait, what? Like, there's so much in Jonah that is tied and deeply linked to the life of Jesus. And, and again and again and again throughout the story, not just Jonah and the, and the fish, but the entire story is linked to the life of Jesus, and you're going to see that today. In fact, Jesus and Jonah grew up just a few miles apart. Uh, we, we see that Jonah, in, in 2 Kings, we see that Jonah is from a place called Gath Heifer, uh, which is a fun name of a town. Uh, Jonah's from Gath Hefer, and it's in the, it's in the region or the land of Zebulun. Right, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? Do you guys know what, what region or land Jesus grew up in? Yet yeah, Nazareth is a town. What's the region that Nazareth sits in? I'll give you a hint. It's not Galilee, and I just said it. Zebulun. Zebulun. He grows up in Zebulun. It's the same, it's the same region. It's the same area in the nation of Israel. In fact, I have a map for all you nerds that love maps. All right. There's Gathhefer right there in the middle, and then right there's Nazareth. Actually, the closest town to Gathhefer is Nazareth, right where Jesus grew up. So, so Jesus and Jonah, though separated by 700 years, were neighbors, right? They, they literally grew up right next to each other. Now, you might say, that's a coincidence. And I would agree, that's for sure, that could be a coincidence. Until you actually begin to unpack the rest of this story. You're going to see again... And again and again that the story of Jesus and the story of Jonah are inextricably linked. And it's a beautiful and amazing thing how Jonah points us to a greater Jonah, Jesus, who has come for us. You're going to see that today, and you're going to see that every Sunday for the next five weeks. Let's get into our story. Jonah 1, verse 1, for those of you who are following along your Bible, it reads this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's normal. Jonah's a prophet, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I don't know how you say it, Amitai, um, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God speaks to Jonah, and he says to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Go go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, right? At this moment, this this Assyrian Empire has has reigned for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years, the Assyrian Empire has existed. And it's in the time period that historians call the Neo-Assyrian Empire, um, they are at their greatest, their largest that they will ever be. They are a massive, massive, massive empire, a huge conquering army. And they've conquered all of the land and all of the territory, kind of in the modern day Middle East, except for one small place known as Judah, where the Israelites are, where Jonah lives. Here, I got a, another map for you. I know. My nerds in the room are so happy this morning. Uh, two maps in one sermon? It's amazing. Everything in green is the Assyrian Empire. Dark green, light green. That's all the Assyrian Empire. They've conquered all of that land. This massive swath of land throughout the entire Middle East. But that one little yellow dot right there in the middle of the light green says Judah. Right? That is the kingdom of Judah. Right? Where, where the Israelites live. And they are unable to conquer Judah, So Judah and the Israelites are a thorn in the side of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are this dominating power constantly always threatening the Israelites. They never get along. And so what God has asked Jonah to do is to leave the comfort of his little yellow bubble, go into the heart of the green, into the heart of the Assyrian empire, to to Nineveh, that great city, and tell them, they're not doing a very good job. Nineveh is a great city. Uh, the ruins of Nineveh have been discovered uh, in modern day Iraq. Um, and so archaeologists have unearthed Nineveh. And Nineveh is massive. In fact, Jonah talks about Nineveh later in the work. He says it takes a grown man three days to get from one side of Nineveh to the other, right? If you wanted to walk across the city, it would take you three days. Uh, historians estimate that nearly six million people lived in Nineveh, which in ancient times, that's, a, that's insane. It's a massive, 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 massive city. It's crazy. And so when God says, rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, he literally means that great city. It's huge. It's a huge city. And Jonah's called to go to the great city and to proclaim that they need to repent and turn to not one of their gods, Right? But to the God of Israel, and then, the Assyrians at this point in time uh, are known for their brutality. Known for their violence in war. Uh, they are called by historians the Lords of Torture. Which is a pretty sick nickname. Um, again, that's, that's crazy. Right, the Lords of Torture. Um, And they are, they're known for this. When they, they, there's stories that when they would uh, wage war against a city or a nation, and when that city begins to fail, right, rather than surrender, everybody in that city would just kill themselves. Right, because there's no way they want to surrender to the Assyrians. Because they are the lords of torture. Right, it's just better to die than to fall into the hands of the Assyrians. And so, again... God has called Jonah, an Israelite, to leave this nation that's a thorn in the side of the Assyrians, to enter into the heart of the Assyrian Empire, this great city, Nineveh, to go into the city that's the good and go tell the lords of torture to repent from their ways. God says, Their evil has come up to me, and I, you need to go and tell them to stop. Stop the violence. Stop the the, the thirst for blood, the thirst for conquest, the thirst for more land, the thirst for more wealth, the thirst for more people, right? Stop. And you need to bow to me, the Most High God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. How do you think that's going to go for Jonah? So what's Jonah do? You guys know the story. Most of you probably do. Jonah runs, right? Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee. God says, rise and go. Jonah rises and flees. He rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, into the ship, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah Runs, but he doesn't just run. He runs. Okay, Tarsius is in modern-day Spain. From Joppa to Tarsius is 2,500 miles. From Gath-hepher, it's nearly 3,000 miles. That's how far Jonah is getting ready. He's prepared to just. He's like, I'm out. Like, I'm out. Right? 3,000 miles. In today's like modern mode of travel, if I took my kids on a 3,000-mile road trip, they would stab me. Like, they would kill me. Right? I'd get my throat cut from the back seat. I like, just no way. Like, that's so far. That would be like my most boring trip ever. In ancient times, like, people didn't travel more than a few hundred miles ever in their entire life. Jonah's like, I'm out. 3,000 miles. He goes to Joppa, this port city pays a massive fare to board this shipping vessel that is going all the way across the sea to Tarshish. It's insane. It's crazy. Why would he do that? What is he trying to flee from? Does he not want to go to Nineveh? Is he, is he kind of like a country boy? He's like, I'm not going to that great city. There's no way I'd get lost. It's confusing. I don't, I don't want to do that. Is he afraid of the Assyrians? Is he afraid of the lords of torture? I mean, it makes sense. It is a death sentence. Like, that's what, this. apart from the sovereign hand, the protection of God, it's a death sentence. And Jonah knows that. They're going to kill him slowly, okay? He knows that. He gets that. He grasps that. He can't just march into Nineveh and call them to repentance. Like, there's no way that goes well for him. Is that what he's running from, though? There's something in verse 3 that I think the author wants you to see this morning. That he wants me to see. He wants us to see it so much that he says it twice. What is Jonah running away from? Yeah, it's obvious. He says it twice. He's running from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Skipping down... So he paid the fare and went down into it, into the boat, to go down with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is not fleeing the Assyrians. He's not fleeing from Nineveh. He's not fleeing from the He's fleeing from God, which may sound dumb, because it is dumb, okay? But he's fleeing from God. Jonah, in Jonah's mind, is that, that God resides in the temple in Jerusalem, And so the farther he can get away from that, the farther he can get away from the presence of God, which is not true. We know it's not true. That's how Jonah views it. I'm going to get away from the presence of God. But why? Why does he want to get away from the presence of God? What is it in Jonah that's saying, I don't want to do this so badly that I I want to be so far away from my God, the one true God that I can possibly be? Why would he do that? Jonah actually answers that question, but he doesn't answer it until the very end of the story. In, in the very last chapter, in chapter 4, Jonah is praying, and he's talking with God, and he actually says why he flees to Tarshish. And we'll get to chapter 4 uh, later, but I wanna, I'll read you the verse this morning. It's chapter 4, verse 2. It'll be up here on the screen, so you don't have to flip there if you don't want to. He says this. He says this to God. He says, That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God. So you're merciful. You're slow to anger an abounding and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says The reason I ran, the reason I didn't want to be around you, the reason why I fled your presence is because I knew. That you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, if you don't know the story, that makes no sense. Okay? Why does Jonah not want to be around that God? Right? Who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Why does he not want to be around that God? But if you know the story, you know why. Jonah wants Nineveh to get smoked. He wants him to be annihilated. He wants God, and we're going to see this later in the story. He wants God to go full on like plagues. He wants wants, like boils and, and, and locusts. He wants the full on wrath of God to be poured out on this city, hellfire, brimstone, the whole thing. Like, that's what Jonah wants. He wants to see Nineveh wiped off the face of the earth, right? He's a a nationalist. He loves Israel. He loves Judah. And he wants Judah to to expand. He wants Judah to be the great kingdom, to be the great empire. Not, Not the Assyrians. He wants them to be wiped off the face of the earth. But Jonah knows that's not who God is not who God is. Jonah knows that the Assyrians deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. He knows how brutal they are. He knows how violent they are. He knows that they're worshiping all these false gods. He knows that they do not deserve to breathe another breath. But God says, I can save them. Jonah says, no, 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 no. Destroy them. I'm not going to be your instrument of salvation towards them. I'm out. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. I do not want to be a, a, an instrument of grace towards them. I don't want to be an instrument of mercy towards them. I don't want to be an instrument of kindness towards them. They deserve to be smoked. And God says, no, 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 I can, I can save them. But I can save them. Genesis, not with me. I'm out. And in these short three verses we get an incredible picture of who our God is. The great theologian A.W. Tozer from Chicago, my man, he says this, he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And unfortunately, for so many For so many of us even in this room, what we think about when we think about God is often incorrect. Like we think that God is the one who smokes Nineveh. We think God is the one who wants to pour out hellfire and brimstone on the Assyrians. That's our view of God. And for many of us, our view of God has been shaped by some other human in our life. Some other person in our story has shaped our view of God, right? And maybe it was your own father or your grandfather who was constantly just like watching you, constantly putting you down, constantly telling you you weren't good enough, constantly kind of sitting there waiting for you to drop the ball, waiting for you to mess up so they could just pounce on you and say, look, you just failed again. You screwed up again. You're never gonna get it right. You're never gonna do it right. Maybe for you, it's somebody who always held you to this kind of higher moral standard, and every time you failed, right, it was the full wrath of dad or the full wrath of grandpa. Right? There's, there's this picture in your mind and of what God is like, and I've heard people say like God in the Old Testament is so angry and so hateful, but then God in the New Testament is so loving. No, no, no. He's the same yesterday and today forever. He's never changed. And what's being revealed in Jonah? is that the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true singular God who has always been and always will be, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that it's you and me who are quick to anger and abounding in hate for our neighbors. You see, throughout history, Wicked men have painted a picture of God through their actions of anger and hatred to the world. Men who have claimed to be followers of God and obedient to God. Men like Jonah. Many, 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 many of them have created this image of God who is angry and who wants to, who, who wants to pour out wrath. But what we see in the Bible is a God who for, ten thou- for thousands of generations, for a thousand generations, has been pursuing people who do not deserve to be pursued. And this is the one thing that I want you to see this morning. For a thousand generations, our God is a God who is pursued in love people who do not deserve to be pursued in love. And for a thousand generations he has sent men and women to proclaim his love, to proclaim his kindness and to call them to repentance again and again and again and again and again. And God has done this. He did it in Nineveh with Jonah. That's what we're going to see over the next five weeks. But he's done it in your life too. And There are people who have come into your life. People who have modeled what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in your life. You've seen them. You've met them. They've transformed your life. And ultimately, he has not sent Jonah to you. He sent his only son. He sent a greater Jonah. And as I said earlier, right, Jonah is just a type. Jonah points us to Jesus again and again and again and again and again and again. Jonah leaves his home to flee from the people who need his help. Jesus leaves his home to come and wade into the brokenness and the mess of people who need his help. Jonah is afraid. He doesn't want to deal with the Assyrians. He doesn't want to deal with the lords of torture. He's like, I ain't going in there. You know what they're going to do to me? Jesus wades in the brokenness and willingly goes to the cross and endures it all the pain the sorrow the torture the shame he endures it all for you jesus is the greater jonah jonah pays this massive fare to get on a boat to travel as far away as he can from the mission of god jesus pays the ultimate fare gives his own life the ultimate price to purchase and redeem You, Jesus, is the greater Jonah. You're going to see this again and again and again and again. God has relentlessly pursued those who do not deserve his pursuit. And this morning, if you are here, he is pursuing you. And it does not matter what you did yesterday or the day before that or the day before that. I don't know what shame you've brought into this room this morning. I don't know what wounds you've brought into this room this morning. I don't know what insecurities you've carried in here this morning. He is relentlessly pursuing you. I promise you, you are—you don't have the nickname Lord of Torture. He uh, ain't that bad. If he pursued the Ninevites, he's pursuing you. And he's pursuing you not with a broken pursuit like Jonah. He's pursuing you with the full glory of his only son, Jesus, who has come for you, who has given his life for you, who has risen from the dead and is right now, right now, at the right hand of the Father, speaking on your behalf. Right now, he's cheering you on. And friends, this morning, I don't know where you are, But if you will return to him, he is faithful and he is good and he will return to you. This is a prophecy. I'm going to leave you with this. This is a prophecy from Zechariah, a good minor prophet. Uh, Zechariah says it this way. You can commit this to to memory. Zechariah 1.3. Thus says the Lord. Or therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This is the promise of our God. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. Come, come back. This is the prodigal son. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you. This promise has rung true for a thousand generations. And it rings true for you this morning. I don't don't know where you are. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. But the message of Jonah is this. God is pursuing you. Even though you don't deserve it. He loves you, he's pursuing you. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for this ancient story of a wicked man who in his foolishness and in his brokenness points us to your perfection, points us to your wisdom, points us to your love for us. Would you awaken us to that this morning? Would you awaken us to to the lengths to which you have gone through to purchase us, that we might be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we might, as we celebrated earlier with communion, that we might commune with our Savior one day in paradise. Would we be a people? with expectation and delight and joy, look to that day celebrating the pursuit of Christ, that you have pulled us out of spiritual darkness and brought us into spiritual light. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters here in the room this morning who have never known that, who have never turned to you, who have never responded to your pursuit. I pray this morning that you would humble them That maybe this morning, for the first time ever, that they would turn to you and say, man, I want to give you my life. I know you've been pursuing me. I see the people that you've brought into my life, and I see the way that you're working around me, and I I know your spirit is alive and at work all around me, and I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be covered in your grace. Would you call us to repentance this morning? For my friends in the room who have given you their life, but then they've run in the other direction. They've been running for 3,000 miles. Would you remind them this morning that you are faithful. If they will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, you will return to them. Would you woo us back one more time? Call us back one more time. Root us in your steadfast love. May your mercies be new to us this morning. I praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, flourishing grace. Why don't we stand, sing one last song to our God this morning.